Listen, uh, before we get into God's word today, we'll be in Philippians chapter 4, uh, finishing up this book. I wanted to just share a couple of things with you. Number one, you know that uh, we're on the precipice sorry, of Easter season. So Easter is a month, less than a month away. And we want to take full advantage of this opportunity to not only enjoy Christ and meditate on his crucifixion, his resurrection, but this is a great time of the year to talk about spiritual things with our friends. So after church today, we're hosting what we call an equip opportunity. It's called Talking Jesus. Just how can we talk about Jesus in a natural way? Uh, some of you remember from our vision sermon in January that we said steps change stories. And as God is writing sto his story in our life, then we need to take opportunity to tell people what he's doing in our life and how he's changing us so we have opportunities to share our story with others. And that's the theme of today's Equip Opportunity. So go ahead, make plans. We'll actually feed you, and you, we won't even charge you for it, okay? So it's going to be a really, uh, really great time. And then also, uh, next week we're starting our Overcome series, okay? So we're going to be three weeks leading up to Easter. We'll, we'll, we'll finish it up on Easter Sunday. How Jesus Brings Victory. All right, and we're going to look at how Jesus helps us overcome our hypocrisy, how he helps us overcome our brokenness, how he helps us overcome our desires, and most certainly how he helps us overcome death. And so this is a series that, again, is great to invite friends, particularly maybe friends that haven't been to church in a long time or just don't believe in Jesus or know who Jesus is. It's going to be very much centered on who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, and why that matters. So be Thinking about that, have that on your radar. Well, uh, it's hard to believe that we're wrapping up our Jesus People series through the book of Philippians. It just seems like a few weeks ago, it was January 1st, we were starting this book, and now today we're going to wrap it up with Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. And uh, this theme that we're going to look at today is on the theme of contentment. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like the fight to find contentment is one of the greatest challenges in our culture. We live in a more for me kind of culture. We live in a world that is constantly screaming to us more. You need more. You don't have enough. So we see this in a variety of ways. The magazines on the shelves at the bookstore, the grocery you know, store are, are telling us that we're not good-looking enough, we're not sexy enough, and we're not fit enough. Marketing schemes are there to remind us that we don't have enough. Social media, always great for this you know, area of our lives, right? Like you, You're not successful enough. You're not popular, you're not liked or loved enough. And then we can even just see this as we're hanging out with our friends on a day-to-day -day basis, okay? So just to take, take yesterday, for example, okay? Uh, my family was invited to a birthday party of a precious little lady who turned one-year-old, okay? Her name is Leona. And Leona's party, you, you know how this works, right? When, when a, a baby turns one or a kid turns two, three, four, five, like the, the party is about them, right? So she's rolling in. She has her tutu on, all right? She's a little princess. I mean, multicolored, pink headband, eyes that sparkle when you talk to her and catch her. I mean, she's just a beautiful little girl. All right, so, so I'm, I've, I've been to a few parties, you know, and, and I understand that this party is about Leona, and yet, for some reason, 
I, I still couldn't take myself out of the equation. You know, you ever had this process? Like, so this is how it manifested itself, okay? This, this guy named Manny, who I met once before, this guy Manny rolls up in there, all right? And I'm like, yeah, no, I recognize that guy. He didn't have his glasses. Like, yo, you, Manny, right? He's like, yeah, what's up? And, uh, and so Manny's got on these cool urban sneaks, all right? He's got on his nice, like, kind of fitted, navy, you know, zip-up jacket. It's looking kind of just, I mean, it's looking cool, man. I, I liked it. And then he even had this fresh new era hat on that was repping the Dominican Republic, you know, complete with the flag on the side. And all of a sudden, man, I found myself wanting, like, the shoes, the jacket, the hat. I'm not even from the, the DR, you know what I'm saying? Like, clearly. Um, so so, so why, why is that? Why are we always wanting more? Why do we hear a voice in our ear saying, the grass is greener? There's something missing. There's something incomplete in your life. When is enough enough? This is the question I want us to wrestle with today because this is not a small issue. It's not just about the stuff that we accumulate and collect throughout our lives. You see, discontentment is dangerous because the consequences are very grave. Discontented hearts lead us to complain before God and to question God's goodness. But not only that, think about the, 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 the possible uh, natural kind of logical ends of our discontented hearts where it can lead to. Okay, so just a few come to mind, right? Um, it's the reason why we are often not satisfied or fulfilled in our workplace. Not the only reason, but a reason, right? It's a reason why many people are suffocating under the weight of debt. And it is the reason why spouses cheat on their wife or husband. Discontented hearts rob us of the peace and purpose and joy that God longs to give us. Discontented hearts are like on the treadmill. You know what I'm saying? Just they, they leave, discontentment leaves our hearts running ragged, always wanting more, always searching for something else. But listen, there's some hope in this passage today. Philippians 4, Paul's going to lay out the secret. He calls it a secret of contentment. And he's going to give a promise that's going to tell us this. You will always have enough when Jesus is enough for you. All right? You will always have enough when Jesus is enough for you. And so I want to give you two encouragements this morning. The first is going to deal with how we can gain contentment, and the second is going to turn to what happens as a result of the contentment that we now possess. Okay, so number one, first encouragement is this. Let's learn contentment through the provision of Christ. All right, what is contentment? Like, if you just want to put in a very colloquial phrase, it's not even hardly a phrase. I mean, one word I think technically can be a phrase. But like, contentment says enough. Right? Like contentment says, I have enough, I am enough. And, and just like if we would just walk away with this understanding, contentment says enough. If we just understand this and then make it a prayer, like, God, you are enough for me. God, be enough for me in this situation. We, need every, we, we, we know everything we need to know about 
contentment. But I can give you a more robust definition if you'd like, okay? This, this man named Jeremiah Burroughs, he wrote a classic on this theme of contentment. He wrote a book called The Rare Jewel, and I think the title is appropriate, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And this is what, this is what he says. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Did you hear those words? Inward, quiet, frame of spirit. There's a disposition in our souls where our souls are actually at rest. They're not on the run. And so what's striking as we get into these verses is Paul's going to say twice. I want you to listen very carefully. He's going to say twice that he had to learn what it means to be content. Okay, so let's read verses 10 through 13 of Philippians chapter 4. Here we go. It says this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me me. Contentment is learned in God's school of life, right? And and why is that? It's because contentment is not something we naturally possess, okay? We, We see this, to go back to the kids, right? Like, we see this as early as a child begins to speak, two of their favorite words are what? No, that one's, that one's awesome, like, for a parent, right? Um, no, and here, this one's for parents and siblings, right? Mine, right? So, like, the, 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 our capacity for desire is seen at the very earliest of ages, and it just so happens that adults don't always grow up so fast, and we continue to say, hey, mine, more, give me more. We see this in so many different ways. We see this when an attractive person walks down the sidewalk, and instead of just noticing beauty, which is not a sin, all right, to say, like, hey, that person is attractive. Instead, we linger and even stare. Like, not in a creepy way, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't, like, just, but, but you, you, you've been there. This is why we shop and spend away our savings on another home improvement project or decoration, right? Because, like, I've got to have that. And, like, even though I'm the only one that really is going to care about it, like, I've got to have it. This is why we don't rejoice for other people when we see them succeeding or something happens that's great for them, right? Because, because we're too wrapped up with, man, they got that. Why, why don't I have that? And so w- what I'm learning is this. Comparison, that, that comparison game, it reveals our insecurities, but our insecurities are stemming from discontented hearts. 
This is what Burroughs went on to say in that book. He says this. I love this. A gracious heart, a heart that's at rest, a heart that has that inward disposition, this fill of Christ. Okay? A gracious heart is contented by the melting of our will and desires into God's will and desires. When we want what God wants, when we desire what God desires, we are going to discover contentment every step of the way in our lives. But it, it, it isn't easy, right? It's a melting of our will. It's a bending of our will to say, God, I, I want this right now in, in, in just my, 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 my disposition that, that, that it doesn't reflect you. And so, God, I need you to be enough for me in this moment. But what happens, see, like this is the good news, okay? This can happen for us. We can experience contentment in any situation, and God uses these ups and downs of life to teach us how to experience contentment on a daily basis. So this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, I, I know what it means to be brought low. Paul had taken some courses in humility, Right? Life wasn't always a breeze for Paul. He says in 2 Corinthians 6, in another letter to another church that he started, hey, look, I, 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 I know about afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Paul knew what it meant to be brought low. Paul knew what it meant to struggle. Paul knew what it meant to, to suffer. And he's not saying, like, I enjoyed all that. He wasn't like seeking it out, like, man, I hope I can get beaten today with rods again, all right? That wasn't Paul's goal, but Paul, even in the midst of that, he learned how to experience contentment. And you might be tempted to think, well, we just need it for the low times. No, we need it for the, the high times as well. Paul also experienced victory. He also knew what it means. He uses the word abound, moving forward. Seeing hundreds of people embrace the message of Jesus, starting churches all over the place, standing before kings and philosophers of the day and holding his own, pointing to the resurrection of Jesus. Paul knew what it meant to experience victory as well. And he's saying, look, no matter what the circumstance, in any and every, I want you to think about those words, any and every circumstance, I can experience contentment. And his expectation for the Philippians is, so can you. So I would just ask you this morning, what current circumstance is God using in your life to teach you what it means to be content? What is it that you're longing for? What is it that you're going after? What is it that you're experiencing that, that is bringing fulfillment and victory in your life that, that still is not always maybe going to be there? And so God needs to build this contentment in your soul. What is it in your life this morning? You may have heard it said that experience is the best teacher, and I just don't think that's true. All right? Why not, Tanner? Okay. Experience is the best teacher when God is teaching you in your experience. You got that? Experience is your best teacher when God is, is teaching you in your experience. And this is what Paul goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, right? He's, he goes on, look, look back at this, and he says, look, I, I know all this, high, low, abounding, not abounding, in every, any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. And then he says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
all of us love to be in the know, right? Like we, we, love to, we love to be kind of just inside information, know what's happening in a given situation in our family or at work or even maybe in our church, right? It's like it's, it's fun to be in the know. And so what Paul is saying is like Jesus has brought me inside. He has whispered in my ear, and he has told me some things that enable me to, in any situation, circumstance, to experience contentment, which, by the way, the sad implication of that is that not everyone is experiencing contentment in any and every circumstance, right? And so Paul says, look, Jesus has let me in on the secret of how I can experience this on a daily basis. And he says it in verse 13, he sums it up, and it says what? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I, I love this verse. I love this verse as a kid, but this verse can sometimes be misunderstood and certainly can be misapplied, right? So let me tell you what I mean by this, all right? Most of you know that it's March Madness, all right? So this means college basketball teams are playing in the NCAA tournament, and they're playing for the national championship. That was a big deal to me as a, as a kid. It's still a big deal to me today, all right? Um, the NBA playoffs are right around the corner. The Celtics, by the way, are fighting for the number one seed. That's a pretty big deal, too. And so March is a month that I love, and why is that? It's because I grew up as a basketball player. My dad was a high school basketball coach, and so all I knew growing up was playing ball. And so it just so happens that I was a part of this group at my high school called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, right? Now, anyone could come to that, right? Like, so the, the, the leaders would call it the Fellowship of Christian Anybody's FCA, and I was like, we want everybody to come. Um, but, but, but what happened was, like, when you got a Bible that was provided by FCA, they would put Philippians 4.13 on the front, right? When you got, like, a poster, and it was, like, some, some kind of, like, like, Philippians 4.13, like, I can do all things, right? And so the point was not, like, I can be content when there's no food on the table. The point was, I can be my best, and I can win the championship because Jesus gives me everything that I need. And so it's certainly true that Jesus gives us the strength for any and every circumstance, but Paul is talking about something much deeper than this, right? So we can misapply it in our day, and we can uh, see that the, the people in Paul's day also got it wrong. So one of the most popular philosophies of that day was known as Stoicism. In Stoic philosophy, they had an ideal of contentment, but they didn't get there in the same way that Paul is saying to get there. So what the Stoics said was, look, you need to strive for contentment, but you need to do so from your own self-sufficiency. If you're depending on anyone else or anything else, that is a sign of weakness. And what you need to do is when the circumstances of life press in on you, you need to find the willpower to resist that and find contentment within your own resources. But Paul is no stoic. Paul's saying, look, it's not about self-sufficiency. It is about Christ-sufficiency. It's about depending on him in any and every circumstance. It's about not finding resources within, but finding resources outside of ourselves that are going to push us through and strengthen us on the journey. We could call it foreign aid, if you will, all right? right? We all need some foreign aid in our life to move forward and experience this contentment. And so as we see... If we have Christ, we have his power for every situation. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, 
persecutions and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, I, I am just as one of the pastors here of Redemption Hill. I, I get kind of some inside information that is not shared with other people, but, but I, I know what's going on in, in many of your lives. And I know that you, some of you right now, with certain pieces of your life, you have no earthly reason to be content. But I know that God is able to give you what you need. He is able to strengthen you with the resources to move forward in a way that you can experience contentment. And then what I love about that is not only is God providing everything that you need to have that rest in your soul, but then your contentment actually speaks to other people of who Christ is and how powerful he is to bring this kind of change that is quite unexplainable through any other way. And so I hope that as you pursue contentment, as you display contentment, that you will even use that as an opportunity to shine the light of Christ and to point other people to him as you walk content through circumstances that no one else would be content in your shoes. This idea of contentment is, is kind of like this. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I have this, then nothing else matters? You, you, ever, you ever thought about that? Like, like, hey, if I pass this test this month, then, like, everything else can go wrong for me this month. But if I, if I can just have this, then everything else is fine. Or, or, or a lot of times we feel like this about relationships, right? Like, if I have their love, then it doesn't matter if anyone else loves me as long as I have their love. And this is what Paul is, is, is essentially saying here. He's saying, look, because I have Christ, because like we sing, all I have is, is Christ. Christ is enough for me, so it doesn't matter if my circumstances are against me. It doesn't matter if other people are oppose me. Because I have Jesus, I have everything I need in this life. So, so here's just a practical encouragement, all right? I think this one's obvious, all right? I'm not the smartest guy in the world, all right? But this one just seems pretty obvious, okay? If if we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If Christ is the secret to our contentment, then I think what I should be doing on a daily basis, like, hey, if the shoe fits, wear it for you, okay, is just this. Seek more of Christ. Just go after more of Christ. Reading his word, praying to him, experiencing him through the, the, the community of, of other people who love him and follow him with their lives. Because here's the deal, when we are full of Christ, then all of these other desires and wants, they just slowly fade away. And when we're full of Christ, then our contentment and our happiness will skyrocket because of him filling us. It, 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 is, it is to the point, and this is not just with contentment, it's like anxiety last week, any area of our life where we are growing to be more like Jesus, what happens is the more we learn it and the more we, we continue to walk as Christ walked, then what happens is it starts to become reflexive in our lives, right? Just reflexive, just second nature, right? It's like, hey, the grass is greener. No, no, man, I'm content. But wouldn't your life be better if, no, no, I'm, I'm content. But don't you think you just need more? Like, no, nah, I'm content, man. I've got Jesus. He is all I need. We need to learn contentment through God's provision of Christ, but then there's no reason to stop there. 
Because what the rest of this chapter is going to, to encourage us to is that we can let contentment motivate our generosity to other people. Read these verses with me, verses 14 through 19. This is what Paul writes. He's talking about this generous gift. He's saying, I wasn't in need, I was content, but I'm really thankful that you sent me this gift. And and he goes on to talk about that gift. He says, yet it was kind to you to share of my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, that's where Philippi was located, uh, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So the question I just want to pose, and I think there's an obvious answer here, okay, how could the Philippians be so generous to Paul? And I think the answer is found in what we just saw when Paul's talking about his contentment. They could be generous and give of what they had because they were content with what they had no matter what the bottom line said, right? And even though when they gave, they were going to possibly become even more needy than they already were, they're saying, hey, look, it doesn't matter if we're needy, if I'm more needy, okay, I can be generous and give to others because of what Christ is doing in us. He is enough. And so let me just give you a few truths on what the generous life looks like, okay? What does it look like to possess and to live a generous life? lifestyle. Here are just a few ideas, okay? Number one, the generous meet needs. We see this in verse 16, right? Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once again. He had talked about the partnership that he had experienced from the Philippians. He's saying, look, you were the church that was looking after me. When I went on from you to spread the gospel into other areas, you were keeping up with me. And when you found out that I had a need, you didn't just send a one-time gift, you know, like ease your conscience, okay? But like you sent a gift and then you sent another gift to make sure that I had everything I need to not only be taken care of physically, but to continue moving forward in ministry. He does this again now that he's in prison, probably in Rome, as we saw earlier in this this book. And so Paul is in prison. He has physical needs, and the Philippians send him another gift to help take care of him. And this gift is probably not just like a few dollars and cents, okay? This was probably a generous gift because why else would they send a man all the way from another part of the world to Rome if it wasn't a substantial, generous gift? And so mission exist and happens because of partnership, right? I mean, think about it. Just, just Redemption Hill Church here. Um, we are where we are today, and God is doing so many great things, not just because we are all here, all right, and we are seeking to know Jesus and, 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 and help other people get to know him, but we are the beneficiaries of hundreds of people and dozens of churches who have said, look, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to give financially to support that work. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars 
all right, let me say that, like hundreds of thousands of dollars people have given to see a gospel-centered church start here in Medford to be a church that can help start other churches. We should be humbled by the generosity of others, right? Because they were meeting our needs. That's what the generous do. They meet needs. And then number two, the generous gain spiritual credit. Look back at verse 17. He says, look, I'm not seeking the gift, all right, but, but here's what I'm excited about. I love this about Paul. He's saying, look, the gift, that, that's, that's good. I have a need, but I'm more interested in what happens for you. He says, I seek not the gift, but the fruit that increases to your credit. And so what we have here is, is an image from the business world, okay? What Paul is saying is, look, here's how the economics of God's kingdom work, all right? All right? So when you lose, you gain. When you serve others, which some people are like, no, man, that's like, you don't serve, you don't take people's trash out, right? Like, that's for, that's for other people that are less dignified than you. No, Paul says, when you serve, you're great. And now Paul's saying, look, when you give, you get. When you give, when you are generous, you get more in return. And now let me just hold up and pause right here, okay? Because some of you are thinking like, whoa, Tanner, I've been coming to this church for a while. You're no prosperity preacher, right? Like you're no, you're no health and wealth gospel, which is no gospel at all. This is what they say, all right? This is what you might hear on TV, right? Like if you sow your seed of $1,000 today, then God's going to, you know, put some zeros on that, right? Like God is going to take care of you. He's going to add a zero here, maybe 10 grand, all right? Maybe a couple if you're really, you know, blessed, all right, by this ministry. Um, you, you're you're going to be set. Paul's not saying that, not, nor am I. Yes, God, I mean, we're going to see God takes care of us. But, but, but what if? What if God has something better in mind than material resources and financial blessings for you? Like, what if this thing that we've been talking about, to live as Christ, to become like Christ, to to have the mind of Christ, to have the humility of Christ, to have the selflessness of Christ, to have the resolve of Christ, to have the peace of Christ? Like, what if becoming like Christ was more of a miracle than having a million dollars? He's saying, look, I'm looking for the fruit that's coming into your credit. The, this is, this is a, a spiritual reality, right? That, that, that he wants them to know the blessings of what it means to know Christ and live for Christ. And when we live like Christ, look, we, we are going to receive a blessing for that. It may not always show up in the checkbook, you know what I'm saying? But, it, but there is a blessing for us. And so as we do this, then we please God in our worship. These were absolutely acts of devotion, right? So like we, we take up an offering every week. Like if you're new to Redemption Hill, we don't expect you to give, right? But we, we collectively, myself included, our family, we give so that God's mission can advance here in Medford and around the world. And when we do that, that's not just like a, an obligatory, like we got to pay the bills kind of moment for us as a church. Like, yeah, we got to pay the rent of the Shivali or whatever. No, it's, it's an act of worship where we're saying, look, God, what you've entrusted to me, I'm going to take of, of these resources and I'm going to give it back to you so you can do something better with it than I could do on my own. They didn't do it because they were rich. They did it because they loved God. And so the generous please God in their worship, and the generous, listen, they will not be overlooked by God. 
There's no promise of being a millionaire when you give generously, right? That, if, if that's the goal, we have a twisted goal, and there's something wrong with our heart anyway, all right? So that's just up for another sermon. I think I touched on that already, all right? But, but this, that's not the goal. The goal is that we worship, and then God sees that, and he's pleased with that. And the, there's a promise here in verse 19. What does it say? He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, so yes, this, this, this has some, some material implications, all right? Like, we, we see this all throughout the scriptures. Like, I, I've, not, I've not seen the righteous begging for bread, it says in, in the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 34. So, so in a general sense, like, God is going to take care of our physical needs. He's going to meet our material needs, all right? And we might need to redefine our needs, you know what I'm saying? But, like, God takes care of his people, but... It is most certainly uh, loaded with spiritual promise. So, so let me just say this. The, the promises of God should boost our contentment as well as our generosity. And let me just show you how this works, okay? Hebrews 13, verse 5 says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. All right? So, so let me just summarize that, all right? Don't love money. That's not easy in our culture, right? It's expensive to live around here, right? Like we got to, and, and we're, this this culture is telling us to, to want more and more and more. It's like don't love money. That's difficult. And then be content with what you have. Which can we just like pause and say like right now what what you have? And maybe if you have a little more than you used to have, think back to the days when you didn't have much. And you're like even in those moments, be content with what you have. That's not easy. We can all agree about that. So then, how do we get there? Well, this is how we get there. The verse continues, and it says this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. How? For he has said, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do you, do you see that, right? It's like, hey, you want more, and you might think you need more, but listen, you have everything you have because you have me, and I'm going to take care of you. You have nothing to fear in your life because I am watching over you, and I am walking with you. The promise is fueling the contentment. The promise is fueling our generosity, right? Like, I hope you are saying as we're looking through this, hey, the Philippian church was a generous church. And I hope you're saying, like, man, we have received hundreds of thousands of dollars to help start this church in Medford. We want to be a church that gives hundreds of thousands of dollars to others. That's exactly right. That's what we're all about as Redemption Church. That's what we're working for. That's why we want to grow as a church, not just because more people need to know about Jesus right here in Medford, but so that we can spread the mission all over the place. And that helps when you have more people and more dollars. That's just the way life works, okay? But, but, but let me just pause. Because for us to say, like, we want to be a Philippians church, what is the implication there? The implication is this. We starts with me. We start, like, it's a great idea. Let's be generous. Let's give hundreds of thousands of dollars. But it's okay if I just give five, right? Right? 
that's why we need God's grace. Right? Like we're all tempted to, to think that way. Like I don't have enough. I need to keep more for myself. I don't need to give more away. But, but all of these promises are laid out for us. That God can do this in our heart in such a way that as a collective group of individuals, we can give generously. To, and we're doing this, by the way. I'm so thankful for where we are as a church. But we have room to grow. And so let's be a Philippian-like church. Let's, let's let our contentment in Christ fuel our generosity so that more and more people can experience the shalom of God, the peace of God, the, the way life ought to be in our city and to the ends of earth like Africa, our friend, has shared here today. So let me just end with this. Okay, Paul, in his letter here, I, I love how he ends. Okay, look at this together. He says in verse 20, all right, he just ends on this note of like praise to God to make sure everyone knows, hey, this is all about him. It's not about me or us or you, okay? So he says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then in verses 21 through 23, he, he has these personal notes. And I love this about Paul because Paul was all about people, right? Ministry and life are about people. God loves people, and so does Paul, and so should we. And so he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And then he ends by saying this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So what happens here is this. When Christ is our life, when Christ is our contentment, when we display a life of generosity and partnership with other people who are about the business of God, all right, what happens is we get the grace, God gets the glory. We get everything we need to keep moving forward, and, and that's what grace is, is receiving what we don't deserve and the strength that we wouldn't have otherwise. God gives it to us as a gift, but even as we move forward in this grace that God gives us, everything is about him. And so what I want to do is this, just to, to end the message today and to end this series in the same way that Paul ends his letter on a very personal note. And I want to do it by referring back to Philippians 121, which is the theme verse for this entire little letter, which is, says what? To live is Christ. To live is Christ. And so I would just ask you this morning, have you found Christ to be your life? Have you discovered that there is something missing in your soul that you long to be filled and that Jesus showed up on the scene and lived a perfect life in your place and died a, a despicable death for you so that your sins could be forgiven, you could be right with God again and right with the people around you. That is what the gospel is all about. That's how we can say to live as Christ. So Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, when he says this about Jesus. In the context of generosity, by the way, he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 
Maybe you would say for the first time in your life, hey, look, I know there is something missing within. I know that in my soul I am bankrupt, that I have really nothing to offer God. In light of how amazing he is and how holy God is, there is nothing I could offer him to impress him or to do enough good things to make my way to him. And God is saying, look, that's absolutely not necessary because I'm going to do what you can't do by sending my son who had the riches of glory to become poor so that you by his humiliation, his death, his resurrection might become rich. So if that's you today, then receive that gift that God offers you through Jesus. But then let me speak to everyone else. Maybe for you, what you need to discover is that what lies at the root of your discontentment, whatever that is, every situation and circumstance, anything in your life that you were longing for, that you were saying, I want more of that. Listen, any desire that is lying underneath, it is resolved in Christ. It's resolved in Christ. Like You, you want more money? What you need to discover is that Jesus is the treasure hidden in a field. He'll satisfy you in a way that money never could. You want another sexual experience? You need to discover that Jesus is the bread of life. And that if you come to him, you'll never hunger or thirst again in any way. If you're longing for a better friendship, you need to understand that God made you for himself. And that Jesus is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you long for anxiety, we talked about anxiety and peace last week, you need to understand that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. If you're tired of the rat race, you need to know that Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Everything that we long for in this life, all of the reasons for our discontentment are resolved in Christ. So listen. You will always have enough when Jesus is enough for you. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful that you have given us everything we need, that everything we could ever long for, we would never fail to find it in Jesus. And so, God, would you impress that on our hearts today? And would you give us a contentment in life that not only frees us for rest in any and every circumstance, but that you would move us beyond contentment to a contentment that is revealed in generosity for other people. And so, God, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would do that for us as individuals in our everyday lives, and I pray that you would do that collectively for us as a church, that we would be a generous church giving to needs around us to see people flourish not only physically, but most certainly spiritually because of what you have done for us in Christ. So God, I pray that as we wrap up today, this, this series through this little book called Philippians, that you would give us the mindset that life is Christ and as we have him, we have everything we need to do, all that we need to do with and for you. God, transform us with your truth. Help us to live for you each day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.